<laughs> you were like, that can't be the intro. No, the intro this week is me basically admitting, did y'all notice that the, um, I mean, I didn't notice until I went to set up whatever, but I put the wrong uh, episode number on last week. It was supposed to be 482, and I definitely put 483. So now this is like, it, this is one of those like, with the real 483, please stand up sort of situations. The lost episode. It's somewhere near our red zone playbook. <laughs> Perfect. Welcome, everyone, to the CavsCorner.com podcast, CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place where Franklin states in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, November the 2nd. October has come and gone. November has arrived, and Virginia's red zone offense is still missing in action. Um, we are somewhat contractually obligated to discuss said uh, red zone offense. Cavaliers losing 14-12 to in quadruple overtime. To the Miami Hurricanes. I don't think I've ever seen. Well, I mean, it, it certainly would never have happened before because nobody could just go two point conversion plays after two two point conversion plays. But a quad overtime game that ends with a total of twenty six points. I mean, that's just stellar. Um, we will discuss that and uh, Saturday's renewal of the South's oldest rivalry, which I don't. I haven't looked at the line and such today, but it was cratering earlier or yesterday. I mean. Um, and I'm I'm not sure if we if we've made heads or tails of why that might be. Before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. First, in Fishersville, the board moderator du jour himself, David Spence, is on the show. How's it going, my friend? Going pretty well. Thanks for asking. Uh, two points of order uh, before I intro myself. Um, I hope you read my column today. One and two. Uh, <laughs> my Twitter handle and username is who Dave's D A V E S. For those of you who think I'm who Days for some reason. Is that still a thing? So, I thought we I thought we, we dispensed with that situation. I thought we did too, but I just want to point it out. All right. At who Dave's on Twitter. Yeah, you just you just mentioned <laughs> that. All right. Um in Charlottesville, editor in chief Justin Ferber is also on the program. How's it going, my dude? Yeah. Um unfortunately you just steered a few more people towards some terrible cocktail menu uh, options. <laughs> um but yeah, I guess uh I need to check out this week's just to see, you know, what I'm getting myself. Into Actually, this week's is not bad, and I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But continue okay. on. <laughs> At Justin underscore Verbal on Twitter. Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for the in-game updates, the content items, and the occasional witty banter. Okay, so not long ago, I had the occasion to find out. I, I don't know what you call this. Uh, it was it was described to me with a different name that I can't even remember now. But it's basically bourbon, um, lemon juice, um triple sec and gin topped with ginger beer. Now I'm just telling you, that's like my favorite cocktail. Like, I mean, uh, it's going to take a while for, for something to beat that. Like that. I don't know. There's something about it that just like really jives me. So when I did read your column, Dave, I was very, I was very glad to see that you had uh, something with some glass, you know, some, some ginger, 
you know, some 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 good mixture. So I after, um, sat, after last Saturday, expect some uh, very yeah. aim responses. So it's kind of like a dark and stormy with bourbon instead of rum. Sure, whatever that, like that. Yeah, great. I'm okay. good with it. Dark and Stormy I, uh, is the rum cousin of the Moscow Mule. The Moscow Mule, yeah, it's a, it's a mule sort Which of is probably concoction. my favorite, like, random thing to get at a bar. There you go. Um, you know what's not your favorite thing to get at the bar? Going... What? <laughs> I'm, gonna... I'm interested to find out. No, no, no. I was going to make a joke about how terrible, uh, like, how many, like, how many missed opportunities Virginia has had in the red zone um, in the calendar year of 2022. Um in this game alone, now technically speaking, in 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 technical from a technical standpoint, Virginia was three of four in the red zone. But when you Ferber broke out that stat the other day about how many points they've had um, in like so many like a ridiculous number of of opportunities, you know, whether it's inside the twenty, inside the ten, inside the five, to not come away with touchdowns. This is probably pound for pound one of the most frustrating games. I mean, I was at the seven to five game in Chapel Hill. I was there. It was hot. I was not happy. Um, I feel like in some ways this was worse. Um, in part because like Virginia was like a half a play here, there, everywhere from I mean, winning this thing comfortably, and yet it's it, it's it's a fourteen to twelve loss with no touchdowns scored. Um, Dave, have you rewatched this thing? And if so, uh, one, why? No. If you, if you, if so, what are your, um, your current frustration level? What's your current frustration level of, after, over what you saw? Oh, scale of one to 10, 8.5. I mean, it's normally, I always tell people like you should rewatch games. Cause I think once you know what happens, you can look at the game more objectively. This is one of the few instances where I felt worse after I rewatched it. Um, and I'll say with, with the caveat being, we sit on, you know, the end of where I sit behind the goalpost, um, the Lavelle Davis play and the Holland stepping out of bounds were on the opposite end of the field for me. So Lavelle, like I didn't realize how open he was real time and how, you know, if that ball had been led, a yard further or even three or four yards further, he walks into the end zone. Um, and then Hollins, uh, <laughs> um, the Hollins played, there was a flag during that long run he had. And I just assumed it was a block in the back. So I kind of stopped watching. Um, and then it ended up being like a legal block on Miami, but on the rewatch, I'm like, well, I have no idea why he ran out of bounds. So those two plays alone kind of shocked me. Um, the Wicks play, we could see, you know, the very first play of the game we could see, but, um, yeah, I mean, I thought, I mean, for the sake of time, because I feel like we've had this discussion a thousand times, the defense played really well. Um, but offensively, it just, the red zone plays and the overtime plays, um, especially just were head scratchers. Um, I know execution, there were some execution errors throughout the game. Um, and, you know, the offensive line struggled, especially the interior offensive line at points during the game um, against a very good Miami front. But I just don't understand some of the red zone calls, um, especially the, the first drive in overtime. They went Brennan run, Brennan run, um, and then he got sacked <laughs> on third down. So just a, just a very confusing set of plays and pay dirt there, yeah. um, which obviously should pay off. But 
you, you combine that with the fact that there should have been two easy touchdowns that were just well, missed. Three. Um, three. Yeah. It, it, three. it makes it very frustrating. No, no, four. When I, I maybe you can't call the the Grant Mish drop an easy. Yeah, touchdown. that was a tough throw on rewatch. Like you know, Mish wasn't straight I mean, up and down. He, he had just he come put out it of his on break. Him. That being said, but yeah, he he could have caught it. Hit him I mean, directly between left hand and right hand. I mean, Harvard. listen, I mean, I've never it. had I've never had a quarterback drill me with a ball from like six yards. He did. Away. I mean, uh, to, in fairness, he did throw uh, he it. He roped hard. it. He put. Yeah. I mean, he he really put it on him. That being said, like on some level, as a as a potential option on that play you have to know that when you turn there's a real good chance that the ball is going to be right on you you know yeah and then you know the kt like jump pass miami did a good job defending that and so i don't know that he could have even gotten the ball there yeah. like the linebacker i, I give stopped. miami credit for that that was just yeah, a they, really yeah, good play that, by yeah, he one did. player I also forgot that virginia had already attempted that play earlier in the game so they were alert to it yeah. um i also they thought gave the ball KT, to kt and he got smashed in the backfield yeah i mean i, I don't know it seemed live to me like there were two opportunities, th- two different like sort of trickery play calls. That one and the throwback pass where Brendan is not under any duress and he just like rushes it for some reason. Like he's not, he doesn't have any sort of pressure coming at him. He needed to take like two more steps and then turn and throw it back. Um, but I mean, I, look, we can kind of remember what play you're talking about. What was that one? It's the throwback to, um, to, to KT, right? No, no, no. It wasn't was it Kate? I think it was a running back. I thought it was Hollins. Where they had the they had the thing set up and Brennan is running oh, to and then yeah, he stops okay. and pivots and throws it over. I, I the know guys. what you're talking about. But yeah. it was like it was like two it was I don't know. The it was just the timing was off. Which is like, you know, the store the you know, the timing was off. Your twenty twenty two Virginia Cavalier offense, you know? Um I mean, look, should we have known when he overthrows Wicks on the first play from scrimmage? I mean, that thing should have been a touchdown. Last year, that thing would have been a touchdown. And I know we're not supposed to talk about last year. But, like, I'm sorry. Like, the offense is in tatters, man. Like, like that play I, had everything, though. Like, it, it did. It had a wonderful route concept. You know, um, they had KT underneath. He went on an out route, and that took the his corner and the safety over on that side, bit down, because, and then Wicks was wide open. So, and, the, and Brennan had time. At all three elements, they need you know, um, confusion, time, and an opportunity, and that's just well, that was a really badly thrown ball. I, and I feel like this is one of those losses where, I mean, other than the defense, which we're gonna don't worry, we're gonna talk about the defense in a hot second. But like, this is one of those losses where there are so many like reasons why. Like, I, that's my I, frustration. Is like I was walking back, you know, after the game, and just. Thinking about it, I was like, it's not like it's one thing where it's like, this is the problem. So, like, the people that are like, um, and I'm not saying that you're not on to something, but the people that are that want to blame the offensive coordinator, like, completely for this, I think you're missing the boat. Like, and in some degree, he's calling plays for an offense that's like, I guess you could call it his, but, you know, he reports to a head coach who is an offensive coordinator. So, I mean, he's in charge of that too. And then also like, I mean, like you can blame execution and I certainly would for a lot of this, but like, you know, I, I I wasn't a huge fan and I don't want to overanalyze, but like, I wasn't a huge fan of like these, you know, Lavelle and Hollins have to get in the end zone on those plays period. It's like, well, I mean, you should be able to get a yard on three plays. Like, I mean, even if your offensive line isn't very good, you should be able to figure something out. 
Um, and it seems like once they kind of failed running the ball in a traditional way down there, they kind of said, well, we, now we have to get creative. Yeah. And so everything you're doing everything, is like, right. a, a not a trick play, but it's kind of like something unusual. Some of those were, I think, good calls and just not executed. Um, and then others, it was like, you're kind of pressing, you're trying to force throws and stuff where, you know, you need a yard. And I feel like, I think this is a good place to have this conversation. Um, I feel like for a lot of folks, this game is in, and we've, I feel like I've said this several times, you know, microcosm of the season, microcosm of the whole situation, what have you. The issue that I see and the issue that burns me up the most is not that, oh, the play calls are, you know, iffy at times. It's not just that, oh, you know, there are definitely times where Brennan is not even where remotely close to, you know, mechanically or um, in terms of accuracy or in terms of um, sort of decision making stuff where he needs to be. It's not that guys are dropping passes. It's not that the offense. It's like that at no point are like any three of those things sort of aligned, right? Because even on the plays that are just like weird play calls, dudes are not making great plays, right? Like you can't even even the situations where like Brennan is not doing something that he should be doing or the receivers are dropping. There's something else broken too, right? And it's not just that that the target moves. It's that there's so many dang on targets, man. I, I, I've, I've never watched an offense that had more talent and had no idea what to do with it and no idea how to change that. I mean, like, we're talking about, it's been, like, weeks and weeks and weeks of this, right? So you're like, oh, you know, maybe Brennan shouldn't throw that ball so hard. He's, he's, he's pressing, right? He's clearly pressing. He's doing everything he can. I watched a lot of his, um, through the binoculars this week, I watched a lot of his stuff like after plays, you know, when he would come and sit on the, the bench and stuff. And I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not a body language analyst. That's not my bag. And um, I'm not going to start trying try to pretend like I am one. I'll just say that like watching them all be so frustrated and so very clearly like not on the same page. Um, it's, t- it's tough to, to rationalize why or, or to, to come up with some sort of reason why this is happening other than uh, everything is a mess. Um, and what's so wild to me, to Ferber's point from his take two the other day, is like how opposite it is on the other side of the ball, right? That side of the ball did not have the bona fides. They did not have, um, you know, a lot of the sort of um, benefits, so to speak, that the offense had coming into the season. And yet John Rosinski has his group in just a very good place. Um, Now, I understand, you know, this was not Van Dyke. This was Garcia. Um, I know Miami, and and just like Georgia Tech, playing a backup quarterback and stuff, great. But for what Virginia did to them through through regulation is actually super impressive to me. Um, Even even still, Miami finishes 5 of 17 on third down. Um, Even though Virginia didn't have necessarily the same like number of sacks or tackles for loss, they still made things extremely difficult um, for the Hurricanes. And I just, I don't know, man. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't, I can't like reason how Virginia's defense can be so improved and Virginia's offense can be, can have taken so many steps back at the exact same time. Like, it just doesn't compute. And, and I understand that folks are frustrated. I understand the players are frustrated. But the fact that you can't point, like, that you can look at these plays and you can, like, break down multiple things that go wrong like every time. I mean, what else are you supposed to say? You know, it's just like um, you hope one day that one less thing 
goes wrong and maybe they're able to you know score some points but the fact that um Dave jump in here with your stat mm-hmm. that how how often right, let me just ask you this question Dave how historically like bad has Virginia's offense been in in 2022 I'm the only one old enough to have been around the last time they were this bad um, seven straight <laughs> seven straight games not scoring more than 20 points hasn't been done since 1978 um the game has changed a little bit offensively since then but yeah i mean i thought for sure i don't have the pad in front of me i think uh, 2016 had like five in a row but um yeah it's historically bad you know that is uh obviously pre-welsh days that's back when all your grandparents tell you when they came to the virginia games and they hadn't won in forever that's when we're talking um that's bad but you know the thing that kind of strikes me is there's so many similarities between this year's offense and last year's defense. Um, yeah. Not only what you see and the way they, they don't look happy out there. Um, they're waiting for something bad to happen. And then post game, we're always talking about despite how bad they played, how only two or three more play, you know, they could have made this play or that play or that play. It could have changed the whole thing. But I just think when you're, when you're that tight, when you're not having fun, when you're not confident, whatever the adjective is, you're not going to make those two or three plays. Um, and, and that's what we're seeing. It's almost bizarro 2021. Um, Cause I, I don't see any joy in the offense out there. Yeah. I mean, I was um, literally going to say this exact same thing. Like the energy is so bad and I don't mean it's like people don't like, aren't trying like we said before, but like they don't seem like they believe, you know, like they don't believe that they're going to execute the next play. And that's I mean, when you start to have issues like guys falling down and guys dropping passes and missing wide open throws. The offensive line is an issue, right? But like yeah. the rest of the and, and then like even going in, and I don't want to make too big of a deal, but they're going into overtime and I'm like, they're playing swag surfing. I look over at the bench, dead. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. It's like they were like, shit, we got to go to overtime with Miami. I go look at Miami's bench and they're like way more into it because they, I guess, just tied the game. And it's like guys like you you just need to make a few more plays to win this game but it's like they're like you said they're waiting for something they're waiting for the other shoe to drop the entire game and they just keep dropping yeah and i mean and that's that's part of part of the issue is in terms of correcting something like this listen this is one of those things where like it it doesn't just fix itself because dudes just keep going and keep trying right change is the only thing that fixes something like this right and i know there are plenty of folks out there who want to see different combinations whether that's a different quarterback whether that's different receivers i think the thing that perplexes me more than not maybe not more than just the the general like what the you know what out of it all but beyond that is like there are certain there are certain things that this offense i feel like tried to do early on that now they don't do at all and to the point about the red zone offense and the the this sort of like weird play calling or sort of weird play design instead of in in it's almost like it's almost like they're they're trying so hard to do anything that can that can break through that they they have zero confidence in the things that they are supposed to do right and i think that's a that's a terrible sign. Like that's an absolutely terrible, terrible sign. Like if you are not confident enough to think that even the stuff that you 
like whatever strengths you have, you got to resort to all of this stuff, this not, you know, sort of like tendency breaking stuff, right. In order to just try to score from inside the five yard line. I, that's, I mean, man, that's really, that's really hard to, to, to swallow. Like, you know, we have a six foot seven receiver. We haven't thrown a fade to in all year. I, yeah. And, and I, mean, I mean, like I, I do that three times. <laughs> yeah. Forget it. And, and I also understand, like, I understand, you know, okay, you, you try to run Brennan. Okay, cool. But, like, on some level, on some level, red zone offense, to me, is a lot more about sort of attitude than it is about design and effort, right? Like, you can scheme something up. Um, but realistically, a lot of it is, is is much more about, like, guys being where they're supposed to be and trusting each other to be where they're supposed to be. And doing, you know, it's not just like, oh, you're executed that well. It's also like, that's the place where you need somebody to, to, to get you separation or somebody needs to break a tackle. Do you know what I mean? Like that's the exact spot where attitude and confidence and all that, you know, non-measurable crap melds together. And Virginia is so like devoid of any of that on the offensive side of the ball this year. And I mean, like I said, if you're Miami's defense, you're sitting there like we're getting this stop. Yeah, we are. And exactly. Especially after the, you know, you get them inside, you get a team inside the five. Davis falls down. You're They're like, all right, we can hold them to three. Yeah, like exactly. And I don't Dave earlier. I I don't know if maybe it's I don't know. I didn't think that that Hollins went out of bounds. I thought he he collected himself to jump and that's why he went out of bounds. Yeah, but yeah. And that's what I thought, too. Like when I watched the quick replay in the stadium, but watching it. Like he kind of he was like a good two yards away from the sideline when he caught when he got his speed up past everyone, and then he just kept drifting towards the sidelines. Like I think he could have stayed straight because by the time the Miami guy got to him, Hollins is big enough. He's behind him enough. He's just going to push him into the end zone. Right. I know it's like it's a you know split second thing. It happens, and like Justin said, we should be able to punch it in from there. That's true. Um, but yeah, it um, was really just little things like. Again, like last year's defense, that's something that shouldn't derail a whole drive, but it does. Right. Um, I think 20 minutes on the offense, basically. I, I do want to talk a little bit more about Virginia's defense. I thought, the, uh, you know, again, I understand. Okay. Backup quarterback. Da, 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 da. I actually thought that Miami's use of its, tr- I mean, they, I thought they really should have just gone back to Garcia when they had that false start. Um, after Brown came in, that was that one third down, and then they just left him, or it was a it was a second and short, and they they tried to do something and it didn't work, and instead of leaving instead of leaving him in there, I would have gone back to Garcia and they had to punt. But anyway, I thought Virginia's defense looked um, not just not just like comfortable and confident. I thought they looked like game changers in this game, and you know when you when you look at the the numbers. Um, you know, Nick Jackson ends up with 14 tackles, um, half for loss, one pass breakup. Cohen King had 13 tackles, nine solo, including a pass breakup. Um, both AJ and Central Cypher both had two PBUs. Um, I just thought that, but it's not just that. It's like you got Cleary, you got Jackson, you got Sanker, you got Bracey, you got Falmui. Like these guys all putting up decent, you know, really nice tackle number games. Now, some of that is because you know, Virginia had to punt so many times and, you know, there was just not a whole lot of like significant offense in this game, but I thought to to just keep going out there time and time and time again and being able to do what they did. I just thought it was really impressive. And 
to be where they were at the end of regulation, I mean, again, I know that Miami did not have its best of the best out there, so I'm not trying to say like they did this against, you know, I don't know, the Tom Brady and the Patriots or anything, right? But to to finish that game and not give up a single touchdown, I mean, it's just so it's like bizarro world to me that, you know, that the defense could have been so bad the last couple of years and then be so not just like serviceable. I mean, if they had even gotten to service, we talked about this a lot in the preseason, right? Get to serviceable and suddenly you're going to be in a really good spot. They're the only reason Virginia's in some of these games. And, the, you know, we, we got to wait and see what happens Saturday. Certainly that's a high-octane offense, one of the best quarterbacks, not just in the league but in the country. Um, really talented skill position guys that are going to put a real a great amount of pressure on your um, your defensive backs in a way that not a lot of teams that Virginia's faced this year have been able to do. I mean, I don't think anybody's had as much skill talent as Carolina's going to bring to this one. Um, so let's let's segue that right there. Um, I, again, I'm going to do a line check because the last time we we talked about this, it was it was tumbling uh, for some reason. Where where does the line sit now, Dave? It was seven and a half right before we started recording, so okay. it's it's equalized. All right, and and where did it start? Nine and a half. Okay, so it came down and it's gone back. I there must have been some worry that somebody was hurt or something like that. In general, Dave, what's your level of confidence um, in Virginia's defensive backs to keep uh, May and 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 his receivers from making those kinds of big plays that they've made all season? I mean, that's a tough one. I mean, I'm confident they're gonna make they're gonna make it hard on Carolina. Um, I just don't know if they can make it hard enough to keep Carolina from scoring enough for our offense to outscore Carolina. Um, like UNC is really good this year. I, you know, they obviously they've got weapons and and some of the, their receiving depth got better this year with Brown and um, the other guy out the first few weeks. You know, um, and you know they're not missing a beat. You know, Drake May. <laughs> Drake May is every bit as good as Sam Howell was last year, if not if not a tad better. Um, no offense to the commander there. Um, and their offense, they just you know they, they get in space, they 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 stress you at multiple points, and and Drake May is really good at finding you know if anyone makes a mistake. So you know, I'm confident Virginia's defense can make it difficult. Um, certainly hopefully more difficult than we've seen the last two years playing Carolina, but yeah, they're, they're, they're going to be a, a tough, you know, it, it's a tough uh, offense to crack. I think, you know, Virginia's probably was more suited to uh, stop an offense like Syracuse or Illinois than they are with, with what uh, Carolina does just because like we've got depth that, you know, I mean, Fentrell and AJ have played really well and the safeties are playing better. But you're gonna, you know, it's it's a lot of pressure on those guys, and it's going to ultimately come down to the to the defensive line making May uncomfortable. Um, and and you know he's he can get you with his legs too. So they're they're a tough group offensively. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know that we'll see a better offense. I thought going into the year, I thought you know Syracuse would probably be the a decent. I mean, not Syracuse. I thought. Um, Carolina would be one of the better offenses we play, but I didn't know, I didn't think it would be the best. Uh, Ferber, I feel like if we look at this game through the sort of like, well, what does Virginia need to get its offense right? The Carolina's defense has been super shaky at times this year, and I think that's probably charitable. 
Um, they've got some injuries. Obviously, Noah Taylor, the former Cavalier himself, is done for the year um, after getting hurt last week. I, I don't know if if you ha- if you can have any confidence in Virginia's offense to quote unquote turn it around. Um, but could there potentially be some, I don't know, areas of um, opportunity for Virginia's offense given the matchup with Carolina? I think they'll probably be able to move the ball better than they have in some games. Um, that hasn't been the main issue, you know, in these last two specifically, they've moved the ball. Okay. They just can't score. Um, I don't see like, we just went through all of the issues UVA is having on offense. Um, what about Carolina's defense makes it different? Like, are you going to start hitting receivers that you weren't hitting last week because of the defenders that, blew the coverage like Miami did or in a different color. Um, like our guys not going to drop the ball because they're playing Carolina. Like maybe, I mean, I guess we'll see. Um, maybe the running game is a little bit more effective than it would be otherwise. But um, ultimately like it feels like the red zone offense is just not very good. So UVA kind of is just going to have to hit some big plays. You kind of saw that against Georgia tech, you know, they hit a few big plays, including a big play touchdown. And that's how they got the 16 points. Otherwise, I don't know if they would have gotten that far um, against Miami. Those plays happened. They had two of them or three of them, but they didn't result in touchdowns. So you saw the result there. Um, yeah. I don't think Carolina's defense is like good. I mean, they're better than they were at the beginning of the year, but like UVA's problem isn't necessarily like we can't get guys open or like guys, you know, are, are not capable from like a, yeah, they just don't have the talent standpoint. It's like they're just not executing their own stuff. So like I don't I'm a little skeptical that like all of a sudden you're gonna play a defense that's a little bit worse and you're just gonna like, you know, start making all these plays that weren't there before. Cause they were there before. Um and also Miami's defense gave up forty five the week prior. And Georgia Tech gave up what, like forty five to Florida State. So like it's not like they've been playing a murderous row of defenses. Yeah, I think the thing for me, and one of the reasons why, um, one of the reasons why that I think this is so hard to stomach, is you look at this game like this one against Carolina, right? Carolina has a very good offense, you know, shaky defense, right? Virginia should be able to score points. They certainly are not going to be able to score enough points in a shootout, right? Defense is going to have to make Carolina um, make some mistakes, get give itself extra possessions, all that fun stuff, right? Okay. The issue, the issue is, is that not only is it frustrating because the offense can't score, take away all of last year and you know bona fides and all that fun stuff, right? It's frustrating because it's like you, you, there are so many like tantalizing little what ifs that you can sort of latch onto. Like that Wicks touchdown is like, I mean that thing should have gone for six, right? Virginia came out of the game last week, throws a throws an what was it going to be? Um, 75-yard touchdown pass or whatever it was on the first play from scrimmage, right? Because they – I don't know. Did they touch back the first play? The Wicks? Yeah. Was it 75? I think it was like 82 because it was okay. after a punt. Oh, that's right. It was after a punt. I forget that. Okay. My bad. All yeah, right. Miami punted on the first try. So what should have been is a, just an absolute dime, right, touchdown, right? If they get that, I'm not saying they don't still make a lot of mistakes throughout the game. But can you really honestly tell me that Miami would have been like, yeah, dude, the let's game fight would the- have been liter- literally probably over. <laughs> like, I mean, might have, that might have been enough, you know? And so like that change, I'm not saying that like every game there's one play, but in this game, that one play, 
it it deflated whatever excitement was in the in the in the building. It certainly it was. I mean, the you watched after the play, like you know, Wicks running back and staff and guys on the sideline, like everybody understood, like, and it it just all it did was cement just how rough this year has been. And yeah, I'm and see, that's saying, part of the thing. Last year is like he might have missed the throw, but it wouldn't have mattered because right. we would have been. And and you don't think he missed some of those last year? He definitely did. And, this, and it's and, like, and then they they said whatever, and then they went and got and fifteen just, on the next play, and, like, and they just moved on with life. You know what I mean? Like just kept on going. Um, it it's just, it's just wild to me that you can look at this matchup with Carolina and say to yourself, like, oh, all right. So what's the what's the formula for UVA win? Well, obviously Virginia's defense has to play its absolute best game of the season. You know, get get after Drake May, make him make some mistakes, do make him be something he has not been this year, which is mistake prone inefficient um, throw off his timing with his receivers. Okay. But at the same time, Virginia has to score points. And even against this defense, even in the situation they're in, there's zero confidence that Virginia's going to be able to do that. And even if you say to yourself, like, oh, two or three of those big plays that they keep missing, they're going to hit. Even if you gave them that benefit of the doubt, what does it mean? Right? In a game like this, Virginia's defense could play, like, lights out and Carolina could still score 28. Right? It's not that not that hard, especially if the offense is going to continue to put together cruddy drives that then punt the ball back. I mean, good thing they got Daniel Sparks because that kid has has in in some yeah, ways he put on a display on Saturday. He got like a full like uh, highlight, highlight reel. reel. I made a joke about him that. Him in the Miami kicker. They both <laughs> they both did, man. They absolutely both did. Um, let's see, Miami punted it uh, eight times. Uh, on on Saturday, Virginia punted it uh, six times. Um, hey, how, how do y'all think the Miami kicker felt about Bedridge banking one in after he doinked one last year? And <laughs> yeah, probably not great. <laughs> <laughs> not good, Bob. <laughs> um, but you know what? Hey, credit to that kid, right? Because I I really thought in one of those big moments he was gonna he was gonna give it up. You know, I well, really he was thought talking he was mad trash. He I'm sure he was. And so I mean, what junk. you know what? After the I'm sure they were talking had, at Adam too. Oh, I'm it. sure they were. Um, so yeah, I, Carolina is a is a that's a team that I, if I'm Virginia, I mean, you're really hoping that uh, basically everything offensively happens out of character, and yet defensively, you you're not only true to character, but you're even better. And that's still, I don't know, man. That's still, that's a that's a tall task. Um, let's let's finish up this section and give me some scores. We're not going to go through what we picked earlier in the season because at this point it just seems mean um that's a good title it just seems mean um dave how you feeling yeah um like i was gonna say carolina's defense is not as bad as people think it is you know they're in conference they're giving up the you know in the coastal they're giving up the fewest points per game in acc play um point one ahead of virginia so the two best coastal defenses that should be the headline for the weekend um but offensively, I think I put it in the column. I know I've told you guys, like, you know, if you doubled the points Virginia scored, North Carolina would still average eight points a game more, um, which is insane. But, you know, that said, like, I don't know where to go with my my score. Like, I don't think Virginia can win this, barring defensive special teams touchdowns and just a, an outbreak of the offense that at this point you'd be foolish to, to expect. Um, but that Vegas line have, has me really spooked to, you know, to predict uh, Carolina to, to blow them out. But then again, 
Carolina, the lines on the Carolina games have been weird all year. They were only favored by like two over Pitt last week and won pretty comfortably. Um, all that said, I, I do expect Virginia to play better and gets, you know, finally get the ball in the end zone. Maybe break, I'm going to pick them to break the 20 point streak finally because I can't imagine they're going to have the longest streak that I can stomach going back to find. Um, I just don't think it'll be enough. So I'll have Carolina win in this 35 to 21. All right, Ferber, um, what say you? Yeah, I, I don't. I'm like Dave. Like, I you can never really say never, especially in the ACC. It's not like there's a there's not like a Georgia that you play, right? I mean, at least not with this version of Clemson. So you can never say like a team can't possibly win. But this is about as close as I can get, just based on like the strengths of the two teams. Um, Carolina is very efficient on offense. I think they scored like five touchdowns in a row last week to beat Pitt coming from behind. Um, the, the key to UVA's defense this year has been, I mean, they've had a few improvements, but the big one is they're just not giving up big plays. Like right. they're not letting teams get behind them. Um, any team really. And this week, the rubber meets the road, you know, if they can play the way that they've been playing and not let Carolina get behind them, then they're clearly like one of the best defenses in the country. Um, and if they let plays get behind them, then UVA is going to get blown out. <laughs> and I think Carolina is much more like in charge of who they are and they know who they are and they know what they're doing on offense um, at this point, um, even more than UVA's defense, just because of how far along they are in their system. I think fourth year with their offensive coordinator. So, and they just have some dynamic pros at receiver and um, it's not going to be like what UVA's played. Um, and I think Cypress and Johnson are going to make plays. I think they're going to, keep Carolina from hitting some plays, but I don't think it's going to be enough. Um, I don't really think UVA's offense is going to be any different than what we've seen. Um, you know, like I give me a reason to prove it to me um, because they do this against everybody. And it's, like I said, it's not just one thing. It's like a bunch of different things. So um, at this point they are what they are, which is, you know, as I tweeted a bunch of stuff on Sunday, like not just, they didn't go to mediocre. They went to horrible. Um so I don't I don't really have a reason to pick UVA in this game. But like Dave said, the only way I could see it happening is like pick sixes and like a block punt and they squeak out like a 23-20 or something. Um, Carolina has like the disaster game. But, yeah, I think it's going to be more like 34-13, something like that. Not very competitive. Um, Carolina just kind of handles their business. So before Dave started talking, I wrote down 31-21. I feel like Virginia's going to score some points in part because um, <laughs> if you if you continue to say that the the thing that hasn't happened yet will eventually happen, eventually you're probably going to be right, right? You play the, the numbers. That being said, even if Carolina's defense gives up some points, Virginia's defense is just simply not going to be able to – not going to be able to have the game that it would need to have against this offense – if it's offense is not going to put up more points, right? Like 21 is just still not enough to beat Carolina. In my opinion. Now in the best case scenario, Virginia's offense comes out. They score first guys got some confidence, right? Not. And I, and I think we don't talk about this enough that the lack of success offensively does change a little bit of what, um, what the way a defense responds, right? So if you're not having any success offensively, you're essentially showing the other team what you can't do, right? 
and you're basically allowing them to sort of dictate to you um, what situation you're going to be in. And then you're trailing. So then you're just throwing it all the time. Right. Um, I do think that, you know, if in a, in the, in a situation where UVA comes out, has a decent start, defense is playing well, offense is getting some confidence, putting something together. It's, I'm not saying they have to be like crazy efficient. I'm saying, not saying they got to score every single time they had the ball, but if they scored like every third time that they had the ball, right. If they, if they at least cashed in when they got inside the five, in th- their their season would be just dramatically different. Um, at the same time, like I said, I just I, I'm I'm a lot like Ferber here. Like, if it happens, you know what? You got to show it to me before I can it, before I can predict it to happen. And this one just feels like to me a game where um, a lot of the warts might not look as bad, but it's still probably not going to be enough just simply because of the opponent. Simply because. You know, Drake May is really, he's really, really good. Um, you know, he's hes exactly the kind of quarterback most teams want. You know, a mobile, effective, efficient passer. You know, he's got hes got all the tools, man. Uh, and, he, and he fits that offense really, really well. And he's got really, really talented skill position guys. So it's going to be a hard, it's a tall ask for UVA. But like I said, um, I'm in the show me portion of the program. And, and if they if they ever go out there and do it, okay. You know, I don't get then I'll get on board with maybe predicting that they'll do it again. All right. Speaking of doing it again, Virginia basketball tips off its 2022-2023 season on Monday evening. Um, this is probably pound for pound the most experienced group that Tony Bennett has had. Certainly it's one of his deepest um in terms of just real, you know, honest to goodness talent guys that you could legitimately play. We've 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 all watched Tony Bennett long enough to know that he he's not going to go thirteen deep, but um you know that where that cutoff is after like that eighth ninth guy um, could be extremely interesting. Um, we're not going to go through and sort of pick these the way we do uh, football, but Dave, I kind of wanted to start with a general expectations. Uh, Ferber did a really good job of sort of breaking down sort of like. Um, the realistic goals for each player returning on the roster. And I'm just curious for, from your point of view, what's, what's your, what's your realistic expectations for this season? Um, after not, you know, not making the tournament last year, um, certainly being one of the more talented, more experienced teams coming back, getting Kihei to come when a lot of folks, myself included, did not expect that to happen. What's, uh, what's your, where are your expectations for this team? Or are you just excited to have something other than football to talk about? I mean, I'm, I've been already figured out where I can put this year's national championship stuff. Just so you know, that's, that's my expectation. No, um, I love football. I mean, I'll deal with it no matter how painful it is, but yeah, I'm excited about the team. I mean, anytime Tony, Tony Bennett has experience and, and, you know, especially, especially multiple players with experience coming back, usually good things happen. Um, yeah, I was I was glad you said it. Like I can't think of a more experienced team that's come back. Um, obviously, the 2019 team had a lot of young experience coming back, but yeah, a lot of talent too. Um, but you know, this team with you, you add that experience with some new pieces that kind of help cover up some of the warts of last year. And I don't know how, as a Virginia fan, you can't be excited. Um, you know, the schedule's tough. Yeah, you know, we'll know a lot about this team before Christmas. Um, I don't know that their record will reflect how good they are because um, I think I think Tony might use some of these tough games early to figure out who guys are on the roster. Um, 
but maybe I'm wrong too because we know he likes to shorten that bench pretty quick. But usually that happens in the ACC season. So um, I think the schedule sets up well. The the roster sets up well to to get a team that has experience um, to get them even more experienced and kind of figure out the you know what you've got lineup wise, what combinations work, and time for Virginia to really make a run. You know, 2020, you know, the 2023 calendar year. So, Ferber, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think they'll to to be, you know, short with it. I think they'll be better than last year. Um, I think the influx of talent that they brought in from the, tra- the freshman class and then Vander Plus, I think do enough to kind of raise the ceiling of the team. I don't, I mean, we talk about this all the time, but we, there's no way to really know how much those guys are going to contribute until we start to see them do it. Um, But assuming that one or two of them can make things happen and and make shots really, I mean, that's what they need more than anything Um, as well as, you know, just consistency on defense. Um, Then, then I think they'll be fine. I think there's still going to be some, like Dave said, I think there's going to be some learning experiences in the first half of the season. And and usually UVA kind of finds their way as we get into January. Um, even the teams like last year that, you know, struggled a little bit more, you know, they kind of started to put things together a little bit more consistently as the season went along, even if they couldn't quite capture it completely. Um, I, I'm, I'm excited to see the returnees and where they are, you know, um, I feel pretty good about where Jaden Gardner is. Um, I'm interested to see if Armand Franklin, they actually fixed the shot um, from the end of last season. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, Reese Beekman, obviously you want to see him sort of take the next step forward um, as a complete player. But even if he gives you what he gave you last year, that's pretty good. Um, Caden Shedrick is, is, is a guy that like seems to have the, potential to have the biggest leap from last year to this year so um if he can give you more on both ends and just be more consistent um and really take over that five spot i think that's for the benefit of the team um and yeah i mean obviously then you add all the new guys but yeah plenty of challenging games in the first half of the season um ultimately like like i said i think they'll be they'll they'll definitely be better than they were last year if they stay healthy um my question is like how much better and that's i think people are rightfully you know expecting them to kind of challenge for the acc and get back in the mix and i I think they will um i'm interested to see like what that looks like is that as like a six seed in the ncaa tournament type team or maybe even lower um but you know they win a bunch of acc games or is it more like uh a really good Tony Bennett team that kind of clicked into place at the end of last season and and started to turn the corner because um, they clearly had made some strides as the season went along. So, I mean, I think that as far as like where the ceiling is, that's sort of still in limbo. And a lot of that's going to come down, like I said, to how much shot making can improve, especially outside shooting. And then um, can they, I mean, I don't think the defense was terrible last year, but like from a metric standpoint, they weren't great. So I think that there's still some work to be done there. Um, if they can be a little bit more consistent there and, and figure out, you know, what kind of crunch time lineup they need and things like that. Um, I expect them to be, you know, what are they 18th in the AP poll? Um, I believe that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere like right now, my, my expectation would be like lower half the top 25 team, which is good. You know, that's a, that's a good season for anybody. 
Um, and you can make things happen in March if you're that kind of team. Um, but I mean, I guess the ceiling could be higher if things all kind of click into place. Um, I'm not sure this team is like, if you consider, if you take into account the, uh, the inexperience that the first years have, I don't know that this team is like nearly as talented as some of the best Tony Bennett teams. Like, I don't think that they're like littered with pros in the starting lineup, like from veterans. Um, but I think they can be a really solid basketball team. And and I think that they'll, they'll definitely show some improvement. Yeah. I think for me, um, it's, it's twofold. One is that for once, you know, this is what this is right here is what Virginia basketball tends to feel like, which is you've got a lot of experience pieces coming back. Guys that you have some conf- level of confidence are going to take a step forward. Guys who are going to play a little bit better than they did last year. Um, dudes who are going to kind of do it together, right? And at the same time, you've got some talented young kids who don't, who not much is going to be expected of them in terms of carrying the load. Um, you know, we have certainly seen guys who... You know, like think about that title team and the, um, you know, the the fact that they came off that previous season. I mean, the two years before that when Ty and Kyle were freshmen, you know, right? Like that team was, was really good, um, but they had warts, you know, and just overall talent doesn't necessarily always fix everything. Um, experience matters. And some of these young guys, um, when they come, you know, it doesn't matter where you land if you're expected to do a lot right out of the gate, um, that, that puts more pressure on them, right? They're not, it's not the same in terms of learning the system and getting comfortable. And so much of what Virginia does, it's not just a, Hey, this stuff is like hard to like process or whatever. That's not the point. So much of it is instinctual, right? The way you move together on a defense is sort of instinctual and you just need seat time for that. Um, it's not necessarily like, Oh, I can't understand this concept is hard. It's more like, you got to teach your body how to how to do the thing without thinking about the thing. Um, right now, Virginia has a lot of guys who should be able to do that without the freshman having to step in and, and fix it. Um, the schedule is also very interesting. Um, you know, they get the first three games out of the shoot, North Carolina Central, Monmouth, Northern Iowa. Then they got to go play Baylor in Vegas, and then they're either going to get UCLA or, U- or Illinois on the back end of that before they come back. And they get Maryland Eastern Shore, and then they got to play uh, Michigan in the uh, ACC Big Ten Challenge in Ann Arbor, then it's it's ACC season already, right? So you, you get the sprinkling of ACC games. Uh, they get Florida State early um, in December. They get that uh, non-conference game with Houston, which is going to be um, really interesting to see. They get Miami early before the uh, first uh, of the year, and then they get Georgia Tech in Atlanta to close out 2022 before they flip the page a few nights later in Pittsburgh. The schedule, if you look around the league, I mean, obviously there's – I feel like this is going to be a really interesting ACC season simply because they're the teams that are typically really good are kind of, I don't want to say quote unquote back per se, but like Duke and Carolina are going to be pretty good. Virginia is going to be pretty good. I'm not sure what to make a tech. I'm not sure what to make of like um, Syracuse and um, you know, with Louisville with its coaching change and um, got beat by a D two school the other day. It's just an interesting ACC season. So if in terms of like, I think when we have these sort of preseason conversations about the team and about, you know, expectations and what success looks like and that kind of stuff, I think when you win a national championship, it's hard to to really gauge success because the, the normal rules don't apply anymore, right? Because 
you're never going to be seen as quote unquote successful by most unless you win another championship, right? But I think for this Virginia team, as experienced as they are, certainly with the the, the sort of nucleus of young talent that they've got, um, I'm really curious to see not just like how they play, but the the but like the the what, right? The 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 who, how things sort of fit together. I think if you look at it from um, from like a um, like a number standpoint, you can sort of pencil in a cutoff of like who are the dudes that are going to be primary rotation players and who aren't. But Dave, it kind of seems like to me that Virginia's best lineup could be a group that we haven't necessarily seen play a lot, not because it's going to be an influx of freshmen, but because there's some questions that have to be answered, right? Like Gardner and Vanderplas and how that sort of sorts out, you know, is Beekman able to continue um, kind of taking the steps forward? He's taken is Franklin going to be a better shooter. Like we saw right at the end of the season, because if that's the case, suddenly this thing is a little different um, because then you're asking Kihei to do very different things versus asking him, you know, to shoot it the way he had to shoot it last year. Um, what do you think Virginia's best lineup is? Or, or maybe in your and in, in that question, I'm kind of baking in a little bit of like a best case scenario. Like if you, you know, if you play, if you thought player X or player Y could do do you know do this better, do that better, then what's your your best group? What do you, if you had to to try to yeah. nail down your best five? What do you think that looks like? Uh, it's so tough because I think I think the two best lineups are, are for two different opponents. Um, Excuse me, I've got a tickle in my throat, so I apologize if I cough. <laughs> um, you know, obviously Gardner on the floor is big, Shedrick on the floor is big, and and Reese, um, you know, and and even Kihei at some points, but you know, and Armand if he's making three, so it's a lot of unknowns. Uh, I I think Vanderplas could be there, but I don't know if he and Gardner can play together. <laughs> so it's really difficult. Um, I think. Believe it or not, like I'm really, I think ultimately the best lineup might end up having done in it, um, just because I think he can play multiple positions on the wing. He seems like a a really versatile kid. Not copping out. I'm just trying not to. No, cough I, Dave's, yeah, Dave's, you're, getting, you're, Dave's getting you're emotional. I know Dave's Dave's getting Dave's getting uh, verklempt. Yeah. You go ahead and mute yourself and, and cough it out, Dave. Um, Ferber, I, I think that's a really interesting point because to me, the versatility that the young kids bring them is a perfect sort of um, complement to the steadiness and the sort of skill set overlap that they have in the experienced guys. Does that make sense? Like they yeah. have, they have the, they have pieces that I'm, I, again, I, I'm not sure that Tony is necessarily going to really lean on these young guys, but like, if you, if you think about like who they have at various positions, they also have a dude who kind of can do a little bit of both of those things in one guy. So like they have, they have the availability to sort of move some chess pieces in a way that not many Virginia teams have simply because one, there are just so many really talented dudes, but then two, that the, I, I don't want to say this with any disrespect, but like the highest ceiling guys are your youngest guys, right? So instead of maxing out with those high ceiling guys and their experience, and then having younger, inexperienced dudes who maybe don't have as quite a high a ceiling, the mix here seems to be tilted in the direction of not only can you max out the experienced guys because they're so experienced, but then you've got these younger pieces that are maybe more versatile, maybe more athletic, maybe um, better fits to cover you know multiple holes, so to speak, right? 
it, that's a really good way to build a roster is to have your experience pieces. Your, your experience pieces are really talented, but you don't necessarily need to lean on them the same way. And I kind of feel like if you're looking for your best five, maybe that helps you get there. What's your what's your best group? Yeah, I mean, like, I think that's definitely true. I think like the especially having like two guys on the wing that are kind of springy and can do stuff. I mean, they don't really have a veteran that does that stuff. Um, you know, they they can kind of halfway fill those spots with different guys but i think those those two bond and done kind of offer something and the question is like are they ready to play in the eyes of tony and the staff you know um because if he feels like they're not ready they're not going to be contributing you know so um i think ultimately if i was looking for like a crunch time lineup uh kind of similar to what dave said i think you you can pencil in gardner shedrick and reese um I think Kihei will definitely be out there a lot in those situations just to provide another ball handler and some potential shooting. And then I think you kind of get into like, how do you want to put that lineup together? Right. So do you want to have Vanderplas with Gardner and then have, you know, a Reese Kihei backcourt or a Reese and then an Armand McNeely backcourt. I think it'll, it'll be kind of like, honestly, it'll be a lot like what we saw last year. It's just, um, you know, like I think everybody expects Armand to, to shoot the ball a little bit better at least, but like last year, if he was having the struggles he was having and they had Isaac McNeely to put in, like we might've seen him play a lot in those situations. Um, so I think that sort of stuff is is just more of a factor this year where you have more options if things aren't clicking. You know, you can go you can go down the bench and, and find a guy that can contribute and uh isn't out of place. Yeah. Yeah. Just now that my voice is cleared up, <laughs> my my point I was gonna make is I don't I don't know what the best five is right now. Um, but what's interesting to me is I think we're you don't need to build a super team, right? Like if, if you can get a little bit better production defensively, and I think you will just with the experience you have coming back, if you can somehow piece, what, six to ten points per game more offensively, that's a dynamically better team. Um, and I think there's multiple ways to get there, and it might vary every night. Yeah. I think for me, the best five is something like – I mean, I think Kihei is, a, is probably – you know, he, he, he's so experienced. And I, I think one of the things that that 2019 showed about him is that when he's asked to do what he what he's when he's asked to do what he does. Right. When he's not asked to be the guy who has to create everything off the bounce. Right. Because um, there have definitely been times in Kihei's career. And I think this is one of the reasons why people get so weird about talking about him. But like there have definitely been times in his career where the team needed him to be somebody that, frankly, he just wasn't, right? To be a player, he wasn't. And so he's driving against much taller, longer players. You know, he's trying his best to, to do what he can because that's what the team needs him to do. At his, at his most basic level, that's who Kihei Clark is. He helped that win that national championship game, that national championship season, right? That He helped that team by being exactly who he is, which is he's the dude who does all the things that help the team, right? He's really good at doing that. It's when you ask him to be outside of that that those issues come up. And I think with this group, he I think he's going to be able to to be himself. And I think that when you start talking about like your perfect your your favorite five or what do you think the the best five is or whatever, if our, I think that has to include Franklin and in, in shooting it the way he did at the end of the year. Cuz if he's if he's shooting it well, 
that does change the calculus, I think, for them. Um, one, it means that they're probably not leaning on McNeely as much. Two, uh, it means that Kihei doesn't have to carry as much of that burden. Three, it's going to open up some space for, for Gardner to eat. And Ferber's point about you know him getting to the line uh, in his piece the other day, I thought it was spot on. Like, I think it, it, Virginia could be at its best. If Shedrick takes a step forward, I think we all think he's capable and poised to take. If Gardner gets to the line... And I don't even need. I don't think you even need to talk about Reese scoring as much. I think Reese can just continue to be on his normal trajectory. It's to me, it's Franklin shooting the three ball. Virginia getting more three point scoring. Um, you open that up. Um, I think they're you know they have a lot of different options. I think the young kids. The idea that like Isaac Trout's probably not going to play a lot as a freshman is kind of bananas to me. Um, and in some ways, I kind of would love to see Virginia work out a, a deal. And this is no offense to Poppy because I think he's going to be – there are going to be games where he's going to be important. But I would love to see Virginia fill, figure out a way to get Trout some minutes so he can sort of get used to playing some and get a little bit of um, reps in so that later in the year he could be a nice change of pace guy that could really come in and help you out in, depending on matchups. Um, because if you look at this roster, I feel like Virginia has, other than like a really long – like true point guard that you don't have he, right now. You don't have a guy to Dave's point earlier. You don't have a guy that you can really kind of throw in there to turn somebody's water off. Right. Um, what you have are, are some really nice pieces that if they play really good group, you know, defense, they can do that. But to just have a one-on-one matchup that you can trust is going to go your way more often than not, because you have that guy on the ball. Um, they don't have that one piece. Other than that, I, I think they have, just about everything that you could ask for in terms of kind of preparing a team for a run. The good news is, is that by the time we get to like, not even all the way to Christmas, I mean, heck, we'll get to like the week or so before. I mean, I think after that Miami game, um, you'll know a lot about this team simply because of the talent they played um, and the, you know, the mix of, you know, what they've been asked to do. This is a, this is an interesting schedule because the biggest games early are not at home, right? They're going to play two in Vegas. They're going to play in Ann Arbor. Yeah, they get Houston at home. But there's a lot to learn about a team when early season stuff is away from the friendly confines, so to speak. And so, I, I don't know. I, I know that there are a lot of people out there who are very excited about basketball in part because of football. I'm just excited about basketball in general because I just think this is a really intriguing team. The Vanderplas edition is extremely intriguing. Um, Kihei coming back for another year, the storyline, like there's a lot to, to wonder about with this team. And, um, I'm also curious to see how Tony Bennett handles this, this year. He seems feisty going into this. I don't know about the, you guys still feel that way, but I, I kind of think he's, he's, he's got a little feisty in him and usually that's a pretty good sign. Um, all right. Anything else on hoops before we wrap up? Uh, obviously we, we won't, uh, we won't be back again until Virginia opens the season on Monday night. Um, but we will be back next week before they play their second game um, against Monmouth. Um, guys got anything else? We, we good to go? No. Oh, we're not going to go through 30 games and pick them all? No, we're not going through 30 games because <laughs> we'll be here for nine hours. And it went so well last time. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm actually at the point with the preseason podcast where we might, <laughs> we, might need to, we might need to 86 that thing, but nah, we won't do that. Um, all right. If you are somebody who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever it is they get your programs. I think the technical term now is follow the podcast, not subscribe to the podcast. 
Um, but whatever you got to do to get it so that the podcast shows up in your app of choice, feel free to do that. And if you want to leave us a rating or a review, we appreciate it. Now, if you're somebody who's found the podcast, it's not going to us a look at the website yet. You can check us out at CavsCorner.com. Uh, I've mentioned Ferber's piece about the, the look ahead like three or four different times. Uh, Dave's Cheers and Fears, uh, Cheers, Fears and Beers is up there. Again, still have not called it Bears. I'm doing pretty well. Um, and obviously plenty of um, uh, game week stuff. Um, Houston caught up with the Perry kid, the um, Rivals 150 guard, um, who's from Indiana, who looks, who just looks like straight out of central casting uh, in a lot of ways. Um, he just like has that look about him. Um, all right, let's see. I want to thank uh, My Perfect Franchise for their support of the website and of the show. You can visit myperfectfranchise.net for more information on how you can find freedom in your next venture and discover the perfect franchise for you. I want to thank all of you out there for supporting the show. And I also, of course, want to thank Dave and Ferber. You can graciously leave their time. As always, I very much appreciate all that they do. So for David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CatsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. See you soon.